Welcome to the podcast, Whiskey and a Map. Stories of adventure and expeditions as told by those who live them. I'm your host, Michael Reinhardt. It has been said that many adventures and expeditions start simply with a map and a glass of whiskey. A desire to go and see the world's wild places. You're invited to pull up a chair, pour yourself a glass of your favorite whiskey, and join us as we hear stories from another one of our friends just returned from the field. Hello once again and welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to be joined by a friend of mine, Melanie Bowling. Melanie grew up in the south side of Chicago. She served in the U.S. Air Force as a combat veteran. She has worked as a photojournalist. Her travels have taken her to over 50 countries and she's lived on four separate continents. Melanie, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing good morning. Now, Word around the campfire is that you had a uh, pretty interesting experience in an island down in the South China Sea. So what led you to Sumatra? Well, as a child, um, probably when I was about four or five years old, uh, I was raised by my grandparents. I mean, I have biological parents, but for the most part, I was raised as the 10th child. But at that point, all my aunts and uncles were already at the house. Um, so I had a very intimate relationship with my grandmother. So it was just kind of like me and her. Um, They had a, what is it, a Britannica, Encyclopedia Britannica, a whole set that they would renew like every 10 years. And I could learn about far off places through that. And when I was four or five years old, I learned about the orangutans. And I told her back, like, one day I'm going to go over there. So fast forward to, so that was like 1984, 1985. And then fast forward to 2017, there was an, uh, an opportunity that came up with a nonprofit um, that I'd been involved with for a couple of years from afar um, that basically was offering a master photography class and they did it in different locations. I think um, there was one in Central America at one point, there was one, I believe in like Uzbekistan, one in Africa. Um, I'm not sure which country. And then one in Sumatra. And at that point, I had been a photojournalist for, you know, well over 10 years. So you're flying into Sumatra. What is your first impression of the country? Jungle love. Like, that's just, that's a term I use. It's a term of endearment in regards to the jungle. I've been kicking up dirt and jungle all over the world. And it was a different type. Flying into Sumatra, I'm like, jungle love. All right, that's what I want to see. So that's where that term comes from. Flying to Sumatra. Mm-hmm. And you just see this vast, expansive green jungle. And it, it, it looks like it lit you up emotionally about seeing all that. How come? The jungle is just my happy place. If you just dropped me in for a month and had the bare essentials, you know, I would the happiest camper is very healing and it's it's home you know home is a feeling so the jungle is for me yeah my experience in the Bornean jungle was uh the humidity was just super oppressive it melts leather i mean my shoes that lasted like the same the brand of shoes that i could have for 10 years three weeks gone 
your headphones, the leather melts off of it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it was um, it was the weirdest experience too, because we were in the jungles through Borneo. We'd been in there days and days, and uh, it's thick, and it's everything is green. Mm-hmm. Everything is green, and I swear. By the time, during the time, my eyes started, I think they started to hurt because I didn't see any other color other than green. And uh, we were coming out, uh, we were in the jungle, we were coming to a river crossing. And the river was probably maybe 20 meters across, not too deep, maybe waist deep, we were going to cross it. And as we're getting ready to cross the stream, I see coming from my left, uh, right down the middle of this opening where the river's going through, this beautiful... Uh, blue uh, tropical bird and the, okay i thought you were gonna say a crocodile i'm like oh <laughs> no we saw those later but this bird the the blue was so uh so intense and maybe because it was just my eyes it was just this beautiful bird just going right through and i actually saw a color other than green mm-hmm. and, uh, and that was quite an experience uh, but tell us about your experiences in sumatra sumatra changed my life in so many different ways. And it's intense because like, you know, what looks on a map, like maybe like a half an inch or an inch, that doesn't mean that you can necessarily get from point A to B in a hurry. So there were some days that we were going from, you know, Medan, and then we went to Lake Toba or Medan to um, Bukit Lalawang and stuff like that. And it looks like it would only take a couple hours and they end would be like 16, 17 hour days. And I learned, you know, after living in uh, Korea and traveling all over Asia that you never sit in the back of the bus. You never sit in the middle. You always sit in the front for two reasons. The fact that, um, you know, car sickness. And then if somebody's going to hit you, at least you see what's going to come at you. And then we had some very close calls. So that was the the transportation itself was always an interesting bit. Um, but when we first got there, we had, uh, I can't tell you the exact location because I just don't remember off the top of my head, but it was different um, parts of the looser ecosystem. The first bit that we went to, we went to a field station that one of the organizations that we were kind of partnered with um, were at, and we were able to stay in the jungle. I think we were out there for like two or three days basically had some electricity run by um, solar. And then, you know, it was just a hut. So you either slept on the floor or you slept in, you know, hammocks. And there was a river and it basically what they were doing there, um, it was like a reforestation site. So they were planting trees and they would bring locals or schools out there to see what what all they were doing. Um, But it was the raw jungle. And I think the first day we saw, mm, I think it's like a horned, a horned, um, it was a bird. It's an endangered species, but it was like like a horn bill. It kind of looked like a toucan, but then the beak on the upside, like it had like a reverse, like horn, like a horned rhino or something like that. I can't remember the, the species, but on the way there, when we had to get through the palm plantations, which used to be all, you know, raw jungle, uh, we got stuck in the mud. And it was, you know, a bunch of white Westerners trying to push Toyota trucks out through the mud. And it took hours and hours and hours. And I just was loving it. Like, I have so many pictures of everyone just covered in mud. And that's how the trip began. 
after that, we went to a site, it's called uh, Tonkahan, and it's dubbed like Tonkahan Paradise. And basically, it's on the edge of the looser ecosystem where the palm plantations begin. And then there's a nice river where we went to being got put um, taken into a little inlet and had this like paradise um, style, like luau picnic type thing. And then right next door was a CRU, which is a, they call it a conservation rescue unit for elephants. Having about, I think there was 12 of us at the time, either journalists or storytellers or photographers at some point that first day we sat down um, with uh, the locals that work there and they tried explaining their bit of how they do things and why they do things a certain way. Um, which is more along the lines of traditional Thai men out like training or um, I can't say training, but like the way that they handle the elephants. So the traditional bull hooks and putting them to work during the day. And then when they're not working, they are basically there's a big old stump in the ground and um, chains wrapped around their ankles and they're chained to the stump for the majority of the day when they're not working with about this much, probably about a foot or so of, uh, you know, clearance between their ankle and the stump. We didn't see it that day. They kept it from us, obviously, because the elephants were working. And then the next morning, about five o'clock in the morning, we went over there. And that was the first experience that I had that started to shift um, my perspective of life in itself and just how I traveled and the way that I saw the relationship between humans and wildlife, how there is a lot of conflict. And then just questions in my mind started evolving of like how to change things. But that morning, I've got some of the best shots as a photographer that I've ever taken in my life. But it was like a very profound moving emotional experience because as I was taking the pictures and the elephants like grabbing my arm and I'm feeding it bananas and stuff like that. I mean, I was bawling and trying to explain to, you know, a local Sumatran lady why I was crying because, you know, very broken English. And we had a couple of translators and such, but the thing that was hurting me so much wasn't the elephant that was in front of me, but there was an elephant in the field, probably about, mm, a football field length away, half a football field. And the elephant was just it, the way the behaviors that it was exhibiting in that point was very stressful. So with an elephant, and this is Asian elephants specifically, the way that they move their heads and their trunks, just going back and forth, kind of like how like you see in the movies, someone puts their arms around their legs and they're rocking back and forth. It's just like a trauma response. And the woman the local woman didn't understand that it was a trauma response. And she just kept saying like in English, elephant's crazy, elephant's crazy. And I looked at her, I'm like, no. So I had to have somebody translate to her what was going on. And once I explained to her what was going on, her eyes got really big and she ordered her husband to go let all the elephants go. And I mean, obviously it was just to appease us at the time and it wasn't going to change anything, you know, long-term, but at least at that moment, I was able to educate someone about like, hey, no, you need to take a step back. That's not what it is. And I mean, that's the difference between our society as Westerners and what we're used to 
in regards to um, animal keeping and then what actually is going on, you know, in third, fourth world, world cultures that solely rely upon these animals working for them in order for them as humans to survive, you know, and raise families and such. Um, so that was a, that was a huge, huge thing for me. I mean, I think that in itself was an experience that was more intense than what I'd seen in combat, you know, in the military. I mean, I wasn't on the ground fighting, so to speak, but I was doing things that a lot of my counterparts weren't uh, exposed to. And I think seeing that human wildlife conflict in raw form right in front of me, um, that, that was the first bit that changed me onto the path I'm on right now. But yeah, but there, there were a lot of good experiences um, from that trip, for sure. When we were exposed to the orangutans, it was the wild. And it, it's the wild. Like, we were in the jungle, and I most definitely had the best jungle experience with orangutans. So that, that four-year-old, five-year-old's dream came true in the sense where when I was exposed to them, unlike how I was exposed with the elephants, it was, it was fun. Um, we spent, I believe, two or three days out in uh, Bukit Luwang, and there's a national park there. So we stayed at an eco hotel, which is absolutely amazing, right near the entrance, and then went into the jungle. I think it was for two or three days and saw saw the orangutans in the wild. And I, well, I can't... Let me, slow, let me slow you down a little bit. So you're at this eco hotel. Yes. You're standing out on the front porch and you're looking out and what do you see? I see trees like in, in my little nest where I was staying at. Um, I see trees and I see a swing bridge that like a suspension bridge that we had to cross a river to get over there. And it's, but it wasn't so much what I see. It's what I hear and what I smell and you smell the jungle, like, but the greenness of the jungle and the smell and, and then you hear the monkeys in the background. Cause there is, um, there was different types of tree monkeys and then the birds, I mean, in the stillness of the night, it can be quiet, but then once that sun pops up over the horizon, I mean, it's just loud. And that's what I hear from, from the place that I stayed at, at that eco hotel. I tried to explain that to somebody. It was uh, on that Borneo trip mm -hmm. and we had been going all night and we'd done this rappel early morning hours. And uh, as we hit the bottom, the sun was just coming up. I let the, some of the people that I was with, let them go ahead. Cause I actually wanted to walk alone during the, on this trail. Mm -hmm. and as that sun came up, it is amazing how loud the jungle is. Yes. From the insects, from the animals. And it's just, it, it's, um, it's almost deafening at, at some points because it's so loud. And it's trying to explain that to somebody, how you go from this silence and it just, the volume just rises as the sun rises. It does. Absolutely. And then when we stayed, um, you know, the first bit when we were at that, uh, the research station, I woke up super, super early because I, I recorded it. And, you know, it was just jungle and mist and you can hear just slowly rising. And then you hear the orangutans in the background and the monkeys. And it's just like, I mean, that was 20 seconds 
that I recorded have stayed on my phone for the last three years. And like whenever I post it on social media, you know, and it's not even for anybody else. It's just a reminder. It's a nice brain break to just sit there and listen and be like, okay, I'm back there for that 20, 20 seconds. And then I can get on with my day. But I mean, experiences like those, like it's really difficult to, to explain those to other people, but. So you're at this eco hotel, the sun rises, the jungle comes alive. There's that suspension bridge. And what happens next? So the first day that we were out there, I mean, because the the national park was behind the hotel. So we just walked up a hill, went through this rubber forest, end up, you know, we're looking all over because we're like, we had a couple of local guides. So we spent a lot of times sort of try a lot of the time trying to find the orangutans. And then the first one that we found, because they even said they're like, most times we don't come across and might take a couple of days to find them. And on that first day, I want to say we came across like six or seven. So the first orangutan we came upon was a male and he was up in a tree sleeping. And you just look and you see this massive creature just sleeping. And, you know, they give us uh, the points of like, okay, you know, don't do this, stay away, this, that, and whatever. And it's like, all right, no problem. But me being who I am, I'm like, all right, how can I get as close as I possibly can without even being seen? So I there I am like, low crawling, you know, getting all muddy and hiding in bushes and stuff like that. And I got as close as I could with a pretty decent lens on my camera and just captured him sleeping in the different body parts, like his hands and, you know, his eyes. And just, it basically was looking like, looking like my grandpa sleeping. You know what I mean? Like there's so much like us, even when they're not doing anything, it's just kind of mind blowing. One thing that I remember abundantly clear was we were walking by, we saw an orangutan and a mom, um, a mom and a baby, and we were watching them for a while, maybe like an hour or two. And then after a while, like standing like this for two hours, it's like, okay, let's, let's move on. You'd see some orangutans up in the tree, like pooping and it'd get on somebody's shoulder or whatever. The second day was the best day. So same thing happened. We split up in groups. Um, We were trying to get to this point in the park where a resident female orangutan, she always comes back to the same exact spot. And that was the point we were going to meet up with the other group. So instead of kind of like making the long way around, we just went straight down the side of a cliff through, through a little Creek went up, you know, and this is the type of hiking that I do for fun. Like, you know, I, I love just, you know, just getting into it, whether it's in Canada or, you know, somewhere far across the world or in Washington. And as we came up over this cliff, we saw this adolescent orangutan, probably a teenager or so, watching us, just kind of like creeping on the on the trees, watching us and stuff. And we stopped and we watched her. And at one point, she'd come out of the trees, like she'd disappear. And we're like, all right, just drink some water, whatever. And then she popped out and she basically crossed the path, the the hiking path. And it was about a foot and a half away from me and and all of us. And she just kind of like walked by, stood, looked at us and just like saw what we were doing and then went back out in the jungle. We're like, that was awesome. You know, have all these amazing shots. And I mean, I filmed a lot more than I was taking pictures. Just, you know, that's just what I do. So I, I have some amazing footage. So fast forward 45 minutes later, 
they lay out a tarp and they start cutting up like melon and um, passion fruit and all types of stuff. And as we sit down, um, I'm sitting on like a little bench with the other female that I was with, this Canadian girl who was my roommate. And I have like a bunch of bananas and I shoved them in, you know, the little Quentinos, like the small ones. And I shoved them in my backpack and I was just eating a fruit. And all of a sudden, same orangutan jumps down out of the tree and we're just moving back because we're like, all right, take your space. And she went right in the fruit. She knew exactly, knew exactly what we were going to do. So she grabs some, she grabs some uh, passion fruit in one hand and watermelon in the other hand. She's biting a watermelon and I'm filming this whole entire time. And she comes walking straight at me. I'm like, oh, I jump out of the way. My friend jumps out of the way and she goes and grabs my backpack and grabs my bananas. I was like, wait a minute, you just stole my bananas. And we're just all laughing at this point, taking pictures, filming. So she walks around, finishes her fruit, her uh, her watermelon slice, throws it on the ground. And then she uh, she had bananas. So she starts eating the bananas. And then she went and grabbed like another piece of watermelon. And then she started using the banana as her, uh, as her napkin. And we're like, no freaking way. Like, how is this even happening? And then she just got back up in the tree, let us take a bunch of pictures. And we're like, that was awesome. I'll never forget that ever. And then the only other like experience that came close to that was being about a foot and a half away from a male orangutan. They're huge. And it was just that he was up in the tree and he jumped down. And at that day, there was a lot of people around. So everyone was scrambling about. I actually didn't want to be that close, but because I had two trees that were kind of like Y-shaped in front of me and he was walking around this way and I was on the other side and someone was taking a picture and they didn't see me behind them and they smashed me into the tree. So I was pinned between their backpack in the tree. And I'm like, they're like, move, move. I'm like, I can't move. I can't move. So they jumped out of the way. And as they jumped out of the way, the orangutan was about a foot and a half away from me. He didn't do anything. He just kind of looked at me and I looked at him. I was like, wow, you're really big. So kind of comparable to like, maybe somebody that was like six, seven. And, and I, I seen, I, I have a lot of tall friends, so I know how big they are, but how girthy they are, how big they are. And it's not fat. It's just, they're massive. You can't even, you can't even explain, you know, articulate the feeling that comes across you other than this is so awesome. Like, yes. (laughs) It's a a lifetime dream come true for you. It was, it absolutely was. But again, with every experience, um, the question remains of, wow, I have a responsibility. You know what I mean? Like I have a responsibility to that elephant that I met. I had a responsibility to the people that I encountered, the Sumatrans who were just amazing. I like, having that feeling and connection with the jungle, it it was a responsibility and the same with orangutans. And then the last, like there was obviously a lot that happened in between, but the last bit of the trip was what really changed everything, everything. But the orangutan part, like, but yeah, they're, they're an amazing species. And uh, I think that there should be more focus on that in itself there because like in Africa I mean we have all these different things going on over there um keeping the wild wild and such but over in Asia and I mean I've only been in North Africa I haven't been in Africa proper so I don't know 
if and how they're used, you know, as means of like gaining money or tourism and stuff like that, other than game parks. But in Asia, it's much different. Um, I've seen some pretty crazy stuff happening over there. And the more mainstream that we can make it to have uh, a spotlight and focus on preserving and conserving, you know, species that are so close to ourselves, because there's so much we can learn from them just by observing. I mean, that's why like I got into animal behavior because I just go out there and I just watch them. And it's like, wow, man, you don't even realize how close to us they really are. And like with elephants, their, uh, their emotional intelligence far surpasses homo sapiens. So they're more emotionally intelligent than we are, but because we're at the top of the food chain, we don't look at it that way. And it's like, we have so much to learn from all of them. And just because like their home is getting, you know, decimated for the sake of, you know, doing away with the rainforest and the, you know, the tropics and stuff and just putting up palm plantations. I want to get to the last part of the, the trip and the experience that hit you the most. Cause I, I got a feeling there's something more there. Yeah. So we were, um, we were in Sumatra for, I believe the school was about three and a half weeks, give or take. And on the last day, um, prior to going back to Medan, which is the main city in North Sumatra, um, on the way back, I think we were in Lake Toba. And Lake Toba is this amazing location with the world's largest supervolcano. And the supervolcano that erupted that I believe like tore apart Pangaea, like the supercontinent. So now it basically... It's a collapsed volcano with an island in the middle, kind of like Crater Lake in Oregon, where they have the the volcano, or excuse me, the lake, and then the Wizard Island in the middle. And the name of the island is Samosir Island. So we did uh, we did some you know classwork there, and I believe on that day back it was like a nine hour drive. Um, and as we pulled into the city, we were able to go to the Medan Zoo um, in, in Medan City. And nobody understood why. We're like, why the hell are we going to a zoo? You know, after everything that we just did, why are we going to a zoo? Well, there was a reason we were going to the zoo. Walk in and I, I don't know how to explain it, but it was the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know what I mean? Just the, the conditions and the upkeep and I, I, it was a prison. It was a glorified prison. And when we first entered... Um, you walk up this hill and then there's a big outdoor cage that had gibbons in it. And the first time I had ever seen gibbons was in Thailand. I had gone to a rehabilitation project on uh, Phuket back in 2010, 2011 with my kids and, you know, spent the majority of the day learning about gibbons. And then I'd seen them in zoos back in the United States after I moved back and, they're just, they're beautiful ant creatures that make this beautiful song and stuff. And there was these local kids throwing peanuts at them. Like the, the gibbons were sitting right at the front of the chain link fence. And they're just sitting there like throwing peanuts right at their head, like as hard as they could. And I, I was like, Hey, and they didn't understand me, but I stopped them. And I looked at the parent and I looked at the kid and I go, no, as in my mom came out in me, you know, my mom, mom bear. And I was like, no, and then the one kid goes to throw it. And I looked at him. I'm like, no. And then the parents looked at me and they're like, and they walked around and walked away. 
And I'm just like, I'm so sorry. Like I just stood there and I'm talking to this female given. I'm like, I am so sorry. It's okay. Like just reassuring her and showing her kindness because I doubt that she has seen any kindness whatsoever. You know what I mean? I mean, granted she wanted the peanuts because she's probably starving, but no, you don't just sit there and like throw peanuts at the damn Gibbons head. Like, so I walk up from the cage and I'm just like, got my camera. I'm like, Oh my God, man. And I, I come across about 20 feet later, you know, a series of cages and then there's turtles in there. I'm like, Oh, turtle, you know, poor turtle. And going from one cage to the next cage, to the next cage. And at the end cage, it was basically just this cement block. Um, it had a little bit of an indentation that kind of made a puddle. I'm like, what the hell is in here? You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't see anything in here. And I walk around the side of the cage and on the side of the cage, it's a chain link fence that was kind of curled up. And I look and there was a Hawaiian sea turtle, an endangered Hawaiian sea turtle sitting on the cement block in a puddle of dirty water. And I just lost it. Like, I lost it. Um, I've lived in Hawaii a few, you know, I, I've spent time in Hawaii. I lived in Hawaii. I buried my grandparents in Hawaii. Like, that's home for me. I may live in other places, but that is where my heart is. And when I go to Hawaii, specifically Oahu, there's uh, there's a place um, in Kaneohe Bay, a sandbar that you can just, there's turtles everywhere and you can swim with them. And like the summer before, I have underwater footage of me with the turtles and stuff like that. And they're honus and they hold a special place in my heart and, and in my children's hearts. And to see this endangered species sitting there on a block just so helpless and I couldn't process what was happening. And at the same time, I couldn't process that they brought us to this location without any warning whatsoever. We didn't warn us at all. And there were so many different things going through my mind at that point that just the heaviness of the entire trip along with everything that I had experienced ever in my lifetime up to that point just broke me. And that's when everything changed. So after me spending some time and just telling the turtle, like, I'm going to fix this and I love you. And like, I'll be back for you. I promise, you know, like, I don't know how, but I'll be back or somehow I'm going to fix this. And then, you know, I'm walking through the zoo and I was all by myself at this point. Like I, a couple of people saw me break down that were in my group, but they just left me alone, which is what I needed right then. And it was getting close to closing time. So there wasn't that many people there. And in like the fog of things, I'm walking through like off path through this, uh, <laughs> through this, this green pasture area. And all of a sudden I look up and there's an elephant standing like eye to eye with me about to charge me. And I was like, <gasps> Luckily, he was chained. That was the only time that I was actually happy that an elephant was chained up. But I mean, he he was not happy. Like I came in his perimeter and he was going to charge me. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, just not expecting that. And then later on, I learned that that same elephant was used for elephant rides. So um, I a couple of the people that worked there spoke English and I just kind of explained certain things to them and they said the elephant's crazy and that they're used for work and they're insignificant. It's like, no, it's not like that. So I just spent some time with that animal and, you know, 
pet his trunk and saw him crying, took some pictures and just reassured him. And that's basically what I did with every animal that I encounter and that I encounter. I just, if I see that there's something off that I just kind of reassure them and give them some sort of love, even if it doesn't last, but in that moment of that connection between us, there's something that's like sacred and, and good that, you know, whether they have a, we think that they have a memory or not, at least they can remember one bit of kindness. So yeah, it changed everything. And how did this change the course of your life? Well, what I took away from that experience uh, as a whole was that me, I'm in a position that I can do something and I can change things. And I learned when I was there that, hey, if this is what I really want to do, I need to have, I may have the experience, a lot of experience under my belt, but I don't have the academic credentials to match that. And that's what I need to work on. So when I first come back, um, I had registered with Harvard then, and I was going to work on um, a program for sustainability and more green building and uh, like ecosystem conservation type stuff. But a lot of the things that I wanted to come back and jump right into, you know, with two feet um, took a little bit longer. And at that point, it gave me a lot of time and space to um, really look at the situation and what would be the best for me. And in that period, I found a couple of different programs, one with the University of Washington doing straight up animal behavior. And then I was turned on to um, University of Oxford because some of the counterparts that I worked with in Sumatra have that um, background. So I've gotten different certifications and education and just the way that life has evolved. It brought me back to a path that, you know, I didn't think I was going to be on because right now, like tomorrow I start uh, grad school at Harvard university and what I'm doing at Harvard university is specializing in human behavior, getting a graduate certificate in that specifically abnormal psychology. And then that basically came about because of COVID. If you're going back to university, everything's online for the next year. And the things that I wanted to do in graduate school were more so field-based and you can't do that right now. So the way that my path is kind of leading me is I'm going to be studying homo sapiens, humans, because I'm always going to have to work with humans and uh, get that bit out of the way. And then well, I'll move on to the University of Washington and do animal behavior. And then um, the uh, the PhD path that I want is to eventually wind up at University of Oxford in the wild CRU unit. And I felt that I needed more scientific experiences under my belt before I could apply to do that. And that kind of happened in a lot of different ways because going from journalism and being a storyteller to science, like those are, you know, very similar, but different because when I was a journalist, I was on all these different types of scientific trips or, you know, expeditions that were trying to solve some sort of problem or, you know, contribute to humanity, but I was just documenting it. You know, I wasn't actually doing it. And that was the path that I had been on that slowly I wanted to shift to science where 
I had all these ideas and questions that I want and problems that I wanted to solve. But because of the work that I did as a storyteller, I just kept being pulled in in a separate direction. So after this trip was when I made the conscious decision and put forth the effort to, you know, kind of move away from storytelling as my focus in life and, and actually be the change, if that makes sense. Um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So with that, you know, my focus, uh, mitigating the human wildlife conflict. So you take the animal behavior piece and how animals act and react to humans. And then you take the human piece and how do you fit it together? Your vision of somehow making the animals and humans interact better. What do you see in the future for you doing that? How does that work? Every experience that I've ever had has brought me to this point. If I have the ability to solve the problem, or at least try to, why not? And that's why I'm doing it. It's not about anything else. I see things differently. And the fact that like I do specialize in behavior, both animals and humans, I see things other people don't. And it's, it's really hard on me to see all that and just kind of bite your tongue. And if, if I could um, make a difference. All right, Melanie. Well, thanks for sharing all this with us. I know. And, uh, <laughs> it's been, uh, the coffee's been good. The conversation's been great. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Thank you for sharing all this. Uh, I, I appreciate you your time. Yeah. It's Sumatra is an amazing place. And once uh, the country opens back up to Americans, I, I would highly recommend it if you're able to take that on. Having those wildlife experiences will change your life. You just have to do it in a responsible manner. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you down the road when we get together again, share a glass of whiskey, and hear more stories of adventure as told by those who live them. Until then, check us out at michaeljreinhardt.com where you'll find more of my work as an adventure photojournalist. Photos, videos, and articles of interesting people, mysterious places, and exotic cultures from the wild places of the world.